Welcome to Enhanced Therapy Podcast. My name is Derek Davda. I'm a clinical psychologist. The goal of this podcast is to provide high-quality educational content related to MDMA-assisted psychotherapy and, in a broader sense, other psychedelic-assisted psychotherapies. I will be talking with world's experts in this field. We will be talking about all kinds of issues. Hopefully, we're going to have some fun in the process. One thing that I would like to mention right now is that I will not be using any advertising to support this podcast. Uh, by now, I hope we all understand that advertising is at the heart of some of the troubles that we have with the internet these days. The click economy directly extremizes the content on internet. Essentially, it puts tons of garbage in our brains. It preys on our basic instincts, such as fear or awe. I will not be contributing to that problem. So if you'd like to support the podcast, and I'd encourage you to do so, if you find it useful, please uh, visit my uh, donation page and uh, consider making a small monthly donation. This will likely carry the podcast forward. Enjoy. Welcome to Enhanced Therapy Podcast. My name is Derek Davde, and I'm here with Henrik Jungaberle. Hi, Henrik. Thank you for having me. Hi, Derek. Well, it's, it, it's, it's great having you here. So uh, Henrik is an executive director of uh, Mind uh, Foundation, uh, which is a Berlin-based uh, psychedelic think tank. Uh, so, Henrik, yeah. first of all, how's, how's Berlin? I'm in Winnipeg right now, and we are in a total lockdown. Well, this is we have... calling from a complete lockdown. <laughs> we also got into a lockdown again after we did very well. Um, we actually have about 150, in 150 cases per 100,000 people. And the federal government, government just communicated that we'll get out of the lockdown when we have 50 again. But uh, but our work continues. Hey, Henrik, so we're here on the other continent, If and I, I imagine that most of the listeners will be listening from here. Would you be able to give me just a, before we talk about your your uh, uh, your foundation and, and the work you're doing, would you be able to give me a little bit of an overview of the European scene in general? Who are the biggest psychedelic therapy kind of players in Europe? Could you tell mm, me? Of course, we have the Backlay Foundation. We have, uh, if you include the universities, for certain, we have the University of Zurich, uh, which has been doing psychedelic research since 1995, I think. We have uh, the universities in the Netherlands. We have King's College and um, Imperial. Uh, I think one, two of the organizations that grew and, and created amazing conferences were um, the Friends from Netherlands, Open Foundation, and the Swedish Society. Uh, they did an amazing job. And, uh, of course, the Mind Foundation, but then there are smaller psychedelic societies. This field is extremely dynamic right now and growing at the speed of light. So we, we can talk about that kind of issues of growth later on, because I'm curious about that. 
in itself. So if we go, if we move to <clears throat> to Mind Foundation, and there is Mind Academy, which is sort of like a part of Mind Foundation, I understand, right? Yeah. Could you tell me about the vision, maybe first? What is your vision? What are you trying to accomplish? What's the ideology? Yeah. So um, the vision is, I, I just repeated, building a healthier and more connected world through psychedelic research and education. So mind is a science and education organization. And let me talk the science first. Um, so next week on the 18th of November, we'll, uh, we are expecting the final approval of the German psilocybin trial. Finally, after two years of hard work, um, mostly hard work by Professor Gerhard Gründer from the ZI Mannheim, our partner at the Charité University. Um, that also tells you we are closely connected to, to several universities. That's also part of our mission. Talk about it in a second. And then um, one and a half years ago, we started the Mind Academy. That's the education part of the Mind Foundation. Um, to to create a better understanding for our listeners or viewers or audience, uh, let me briefly sketch uh, the, the little mind uh, universe. So um, we, after three and a half years of development, we, were, we founded uh, the organization in on the 26th of November, 2016. We decided to create a structure where uh, we have a nonprofit. Mind is a nonprofit um, where we do the science, the basic science and the educational part, like a psychedelic therapy training. And uh, then we decided to start a for-profit uh, in January, which is Ovid Health Systems. And Mind has a share in the, in the for-profit. What does the for-profit do? Uh, the first thing we do uh, in January uh, 2021 we open um, ketamine-assisted psychotherapy clinic. It's actually what we're doing there is augmented uh, psychotherapy. We start with ketamine, like many players in Canada, as you know, and uh, the United States, and we'll be quickly moving onwards to uh, psilocybin. And just to complete that sketch, um, we have been gathering members since 2016 and to provide a democratic and a represent, representational structure for the members, we created the Mind Members Association. Uh, so that's the third independent, if you want to, organization closely linked with the um, Mind Foundation. The members also have a share in the shareholder board of the Mind Foundation. They vote for uh, a board, and the board represents the Mind members' interests in the Mind Foundation. Okay. Mind is the heart of the whole uh, endeavor. Um, Ovid is clinical structure, treatment, therapy, and the Mind Members Association is community building. That's important because there is there are numbers of players in the field, some from the United States, some from Canada and other countries that are very much in it for the, the quick dollar that you can earn. Yes, yes. And that yes. might pose some problems for the development of, of the field. I'm really curious about this whole issue of growth and how to keep it keep it healthy and 
how to stick with the, you know, it's kind of a mandate of making this a better world. Because I think that the majority of people in the psychedelic assisted kind of therapy are really there because they, they want to, to make this world a better place. Not that they don't want to make their lives a better, better lives. That's obviously is on the table as well. But, uh, it's really important that this, this, this field stays healthy. We are one of the most boring organizations in the world, as I keep on saying. Uh, we are not working um, illegally. Um, I know a lot about illegal therapies from my research. Um, uh, by the way, I, I have been working for 18 years at the University of Heidelberg, and I had a 10-year study there in, in which I got very close to the ayahuasca field and very close to underground therapists and also very close to psychonauts doing qualitative and quantitative research because we have been discussing these structures in the underground therapy scene we came to the conclusion let's not do that yes because the potential yes. to really lift it into mainstream to really get the therapies out to people who need it is not as good as one would hope for uh, with all the personalities in the underground field sometimes developing also bad actors among idealists so um you have some story you have some stories to share I, that that you've witnessed one of the stories you know, yeah well, um around the year 2010 two people died uh, from an mdma ephedrine combination in a group uh, in a psycholytic group therapy uh, here in Berlin, actually. And this was done with an extreme form of irresponsibility from the side of the, of the therapist who was facilitating the session. He was under the influence of 50 micrograms of LSD himself and um, he was using his scale for the first time ever, a digital scale. So under the influence of 50 micrograms, using a scale, which you don't know, where you have to type in numbers. And then, um, and of course, he made a 10 times dosing scale, which uh, brought the whole group into hospital and two of the people died there. Um, oh, this is a very factual story. I have a lot uh, to tell from, from that space. But um, what comes with it is also a certain form of, of norms in parts of the underground field that are not as precise and not as patient-oriented as one would wish for. And most importantly, as you mentioned earlier, to bring this therapy to uh, mainstream is extremely important to focus on safety and uh, and, and 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 effectiveness. And uh, these sorts of stories they are very rare, but they can they can pretty much delay the entire field for for a while. So thanks for sharing this. Really good. This is something to avoid, as you say. I think we have at least about one thousand people uh, somehow practicing in Germany, at least uh, 150 of them illegally, that were trained by a certain guru, spiritual therapist from Switzerland. And they have been dominating the news. So the public discourse is mostly about 
um, guruism and spiritual forms of therapy, which doesn't help for a more, let's say, um, rational or patient-oriented uh, therapy to get into the discourse. So one one of your goals would be public education and yeah. kind of um, providing a different echo of the the psychedelic discourse that is more more beneficial to that kind of a mainstream psychotherapy. Uh, what's the mandate of your organization in that respect? It's not a mandate of our organization to uh, to work on the change of the general drug law uh, okay. issues. Um, Whenever I personally, as the person can can raise or, or, or am asked about these issues, I would say something, but that's not what we're focusing on. Um, we believe in the board. We believe that the organization needs to focus. And our first focus is clinical uses of psychedelics. And the second would be a step after we have made some progress here in Germany, uh, the use of these substances for personal development which is something else than recreational use in the party scene or on festivals or uh, at home. We have a certain view, which I can uh, uh, share if you want me to, about the institutionalization of personal development as a, as a special issue in the field of developing psychedelics. Yeah, that that is a very interesting issue because the the question here, uh, regulatory question in Canada and the states becomes that, uh, for example, MDMA, which is my um, uh, enhanced therapies institute, biggest interest at this point is MDMA assisted psychotherapy, and more specifically, we're really interested in in getting that to 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 heal relationships. Yeah, and probably a lot of your your. Uh your viewers know um, uh, couple therapy issues are usually don't have an indication in, in the in the health system. At least they don't have one in in the German health system. So you can't provide a dia dia diagnosis for that. So the larger perspective is institutionalization of the uses of psychedelics. This is actually what we're doing when we're when we're bringing psychedelics into psychotherapy. Psychotherapy is or has institutions around it. We don't have something like that, neither in, in legal perspective nor in factual, practical perspective for, uh, for any mind-altering substance yet. Uh, not in Germany, not in any of the European countries that I know. We just have drug use and medical use. This also comes from a certain narrowing of the perspective that happened in within the international treaties, starting with the single convention on psychotropic substances in 1961, where the international community agreed on that the substance would either be used medically or, and, or shouldn't be used at all. And if it is, this is abuse. This was the discourse and the terms that they brought into the global situation in the 1960s, which is still uh, the, the basic treaty that, that's in the international field. So at that time, we didn't know in the 60s and 70s, we didn't know a lot about what uh, 
uh, the, the risks of psychedelics. We even didn't know a lot about, we didn't know about MDMA at all because it came into the field a little bit later. Um, but these perspectives have been applied, particularly in the United States, which was kind of a, um, of the, the country that everybody was uh, looking to um, for these new therapies. We, we had no model for, for regulating it. And that's actually what we have to do right now in the, in the, in the legal field. And I guess with the, with the international system becoming more variable and with high quality studies in the field, we can increase our outreach to lawmakers so that we hopefully can also create new categories in the legal framework that therapists and maybe in the future also counselors uh, work with. Personal development was not even a topic that has ever been dealt with by lawmakers from my from my knowledge, in, in at least not in, in the German-speaking countries, and I think um, not in other European countries. So why is there a need for personal development at all or for the institutionalization for personal development? We gave the first reason because there are indications people are suffering from things that are not necessarily medical conditions. Um, a love that is not working in, in the way anymore that you expected it to work in a relationship and many more things. And, and secondly, there is, there is potential with these substances, if applied in a good way, that go way beyond uh, curing a disease. So some people seem to, to take out of it inspiration for changing the values in their life, for changing the direction in their life, and for uh, reconnecting to something beyond their narrower own interest and personality. That's, by the way, in our vision, we have building a healthier, more connected world where people talk about feeling that they're part of a larger uh, cosmology, a larger being, a larger uh, being uh, as used in Heidegger's philosophy, not necessarily used as God, but some also talk about being part of God, not of a, not of a Christian God mostly, but of the universe, a naturalistic sense, maybe the universe being God. If we can show that this is of, of ethical uh, advantage, for society, for larger society, we should create spaces in our society where people can use these substances free of legal charges and with uh, people that know very well what they're doing. And that's one of the reasons also that uh, the Institute I'm a part of, that we are interested in relationships, because when I, when I say relationships on purpose, I don't say couples. We say relationships, relationships with ourselves, with each other, uh, with all living creatures and with the entire ecosystem. I, you know, I think I personally, I, I, I must have some sort of a deficit of imagination because I can't imagine how people are not able to see that this green lining that covers this little planet on which we live, uh, 
is a part of us, that we are a part of it, as separate as we are, as outgrowths, the outgrowths that spurred to life, we are a part of this whole ecosystem. And if we don't take care of it, we are not taking care of ourselves. The, to me, this is the, the, the simplest, most obvious logic. And I just don't know how people can not understand that and get lost in, in things that are smaller smaller than that and lose completely a sight of it and lose a sight that this is the most important uh the most important project we have right now is to save this this planet for you know for the future generations so i'm totally with you on these that. insights of course occur out of therapy too and they might be valuable for the development of our societies and mankind as a whole. Now, let me be a little bit critical of the psychedelic uh, field when we talk about that. I And let me make some enemies, maybe. Um, so I am, um, I am convinced that just, just changing consciousness, like from uh, being a very uh, meritocratic guy who wants to... Uh, wants to be in life to to make a profit and buy a Ferrari to to thinking that you're part of the larger universe that will not save the planet yes there are these theories coming from the new age scene in the field since the 1960s that if we get uh, enough people over, over to that side the whole thing will change but people the mathematics don't work because we have uh, seven, eight billion people on the planet, some of them living in, in deeply impoverished communities. They will never be reached by psychedelics. And if they are, it's rather through the black market and that will likely not do uh, very good uh, for them. So that brings up the, the topic of integration. I think this is a second feature characteristic of our organizations. We're putting the integrative use and integration methodology um, in the center of our work. It's not so much about the psychedelic experience. The psychedelic experience is, we, we treat it as an instrument, an instrument of changing your personal and social life. We have structures in the Mind Members Association um, um, that are called sections, and one of the sections is the Law and Ethics section. And we have people working on, on writing uh, a law as a proposal for lawmakers that would include uh, medical use, use for personal and societal development, and also how to address uh, the larger recreational field with uh, harm reduction measures. Change in consciousness which is sort of a new agey view of the world is a part of it and uh and of course it will contribute to 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 hopefully our well-being our like kind of communal uh, global well-being uh but what we really need is healthy institutions that and uh, uh that that provide healthy contingencies the contingencies in the environment really um, uh, create who we are way more than the North American people think. North American people, I think, Sam from Europe, I came here and I, I, I think there's this kind of in, internal psychology that people believe in, that we're such great agents of our own being. But in my 
perception of things, having been in a, a number of contexts, etc., I, I see that contingencies in the environment are really what what makes us tick. So if you change the structures, if you change the systems, then we then we will behave accordingly. Thank you for saying that, because we have some extreme form, forms of libertarianism uh, in the history of the North American uh, countries, particularly the United States. Uh, it has a history, of course, that some religious groups that were not accepted in, in Europe just... Um, just went to North America and there they built their own stuff and also capitalism comes in. I'm very certain that we have to have to be more aware of of the general structure of a postmodern society which is completely different from a tribe in the Amazon. That's why I'm mm -hmm. also um, continuously talking about the differences between a tribe using ayahuasca a tribe of 120 or 10,000 people uh, basically living on a tradition society view and people taking psychedelics in these post postmodern globalized very very dynamic societies so one of the basic existential themes of our societies in general uh, is the loss of collectivity a feeling of that we belong And that's getting worse and worse, leading to the United uh, to the United Kingdom having, I think they have a, a ministry that has loneliness in its name, a ministry of blah, 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 and loneliness. Mm -hmm. That is showing what it's all about. People uh, being singularities, people becoming individuals in a strange way that they're suffering from. Right. And it all, it all is predicated on this kind of disconnection, as you say, the, the world that is disconnected and the lack of realization that my well-being is your well-being. And ideally what we want to do, uh, under the condition of, of plentifulness of resources, yeah. when the resources are scarce, let, let's just, let's just be honest about it. The, when the resources are scarce, we're going to turn into into animals and become more primal, and and uh, and we're not going to share. But we live in the world that is plentiful. We could make this this planet can easily feed this uh, the population that we have and and make everybody's lives uh, fairly good if we only uh, put smart people in 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 charge, so that they can make decisions that that will change the systems in a way that it makes it sustainable and good for everybody. So, um, so again, there is this, there's definitely this sort of culture of consciousness that you, you're talking about. There's, there's a, a word that you're using. describes It can be translated as culture of consciousness. So, and it describes an attitude where, uh, and the process too. So first try to find out, Uh, which states of mind, which states of consciousness are really valuable in an ethical sense. So not only for you, mm. but also for the others and maybe even for all the others. Yeah. Uh, this also carries some criticism of, uh, of the view that all kinds of psychedelic states are valuable. I don't believe in that. And all kinds of uh, states of consciousness are, are valuable. There are some that are not valuable and some that are even 
destructive. And um, just to give an example, like it's like there, there are some very narcissistic, egocentric developments for some people who t- who take psychedelics. These are obviously not uh, valuable. So that's the first step. The second step in in Thomas Metzinger's proposal of developing a Bewusstseinskultur science culture is. Um, developing a practice to uh, embody and increase these valuable states in your life. This could be meditating on them. This could be connecting a behavior to it so that you're always related to that. So if you're, as an example, if you're feeling very deep feelings of love and connectedness in an MDMA session, what does it actually mean for your everyday life when you're meeting your uh, your lover, your uh, your spouse, your uh, the people you work with? What, what's the, what's the situation in your life where you apply this uh, experience or insight? So, in, and the third uh, the third step in Thomas Metzinger's um, uh, concept of the science culture. Um, it's actually institutionalizing those interesting and valuable, ethically high-standing high, uh, states. So do you think that we need, as a global culture, that we need some sort of a set of unifying ethical principles, something around maybe eco Ecos, like you know, like sort of eco ethics, uh, to move forward and to save this planet. Or do you think we can go completely loose, uh, and uh, in terms of um, kind of relativism and and and, and perspectivism, and uh, and we can still be good just on the basis of open dialogue and things like that. We have something like that, like the, the, you're asking for already the the UN Declaration of Human Rights, the European Declaration of Human Rights. Um, we probably have to work on it to complete it with more ecological and more social and collectivity uh, issues and make it more binding for the states. The second thing, of course, is because these declarations work on the political sphere. We have very little stuff going on, on the, in the sphere of economy and which regulate companies on an international level there we still have a lot of wild west Mm -hmm. how can we how can we direct our societies more in an ecological uh way uh, without regulating what companies do right so the strengthening of international institutions is a very important agenda and then as you say the broadening and the broadening of the mandate be beyond human beings, beyond the well-being of human beings into all living creatures and the whole ecosystem would be very useful. So how about we let's let's maybe shift to um, to letting people know what uh, Mind Foundation does uh, and about your sp- more specific kind of products. You know, you have some in- very interesting things going on there. And then maybe if we have a, any more time, we could talk about a little bit more about the therapy and, and ethics of therapy and all that stuff, more specific issues. Now that we have indulged in, in those uh, big discussions, at least touched upon a few things there. So could you tell us about Mind Foundation again? As I said earlier, yeah. your mandate seems to me very broad. There's the community thing, there's the policy making, there's research. 
there is uh, training and professional education, um, uh, harm reduction. You are yourself uh, uh, a practitioner of uh, uh, of, uh, of prevention. Uh, could you could you tell us about about what Mind Foundation and Mind Academy? Yeah, but let's be very concrete. So we have um, we have a beautiful and and uh, and also large conference that is called the Insight Conference. That's one of our institutions that we build. The next one is going to happen from September the 9th to 12th in beautiful Berlin, and in September still warm Berlin. That's where we come together. Many people from the global psychedelic development field. Uh, starting in April, we probably have them most international and most, um, I could say so, most scientific training in augmented psychotherapy that has ever been created. Let me tell you how it works. It's a three-year training and you can, um, you receive a certificate after each year, three different certificates. And the first year is completely, completely dedicated to integration therapy. So what you learn there is attitudes and methods to help people integrate altered states of consciousness, not only from psychedelics. Yeah? The second year is a certificate for ketamine-assisted uh, psychotherapy. And the third year is a certificate for um, psychedelic-assisted uh, psychotherapies. So we really built the system from scratch on, on, on the foundation of this uh, ethics of integrating the, the, the altered states of consciousness into a valuable behavioral practice. And in order to get there and to start that in April 2021, we've been working hard for the last um three years to build programs in the Mind Academy, which actually are part of this three-year program. And let me just mention um, two more, uh, three more. Um, we have... What's the, what's the name of this three-year program? The three-year program that you're mentioning, what's the name? Augmented Psychotherapy. So when you go to our website, mind-foundation.org, you just you you either go to academy and scroll down and find it, or you just uh, put it in the search field, augmented psychotherapy, and it will pop up. Um, and I think the registration for that is open in December. You can't register uh, register yet. Yeah. Um, but let me tell about the modules that we have in there. That's very interesting because uh, we really had. Um, at least in retrospective, it seems as we really had a plan. And uh, one one of the modules that we built first is a is a is a workshop called Beyond Experience. That's a mm. five day intensive. And what you're getting there, either as a professional um, from the mental health system or just somebody who is interested in meditation or psychedelics, you're uh, you're working with a with a community of sixteen to eighteen people mostly on your own experiences and how to transform them into a better life. It's it's an act based course, act as uh, acceptable Accept. commitment theory based course, um, and uh, what you get there is. Uh, very, very much centered on our own understanding of integration. It's not only like verbalizing the content that people experience. It's very much learning how to get into an altered state 
coming back and doing something with it. So we are teaching uh, non-pharmacological methods of getting into altered states. It's it's intense, very intense music journeys. It's uh, hypnotherapy stories. It's also some body work that we have in there. And then theory and then talking and getting into the state, getting back, uh, working with mindfulness. So because I think there is a there is a lack of understanding of integration, also we, we don't know what integration is, but we have another theory. This is that more um, experiential uh, way of doing it. That's a beyond experience course, which which can be, you can go to that independently of, of being in a training like augmented psychotherapy. So beyond experience, I just want to, because this is the course that captured my attention first when I, when I was, when I found you guys, there's beyond experience course, and then there's beyond experience therapist training or no, facilitators training. Yeah. To become a facilitator. There's a training to become a facilitator for, for the beyond experience workshop. Yeah. To give it, to provide it to people. Right. Exactly. So, and one of the things that happened is that you said, or I think it was you said, you know, uh, yeah, if we accept you, we would like to talk to you a little bit beforehand, you know? So that's good. That meaning these guys actually care who they're getting into their training. Definitely. Uh, so we, we're not accepting everybody. Uh, so there is a, there is a personality for, for, for people becoming a facilitator. You need to have some training in the psychological field or uh, be an advanced counselor at least. And then there is some kind of interpersonal check. We are looking at certain, at certain personality criteria. Now I'm realizing that beyond experience actually echoes the concept of integration in the sense that you're saying that, you know, the whole purpose of uh, psychedelic assisted therapy is not the, the main purpose is not so much to have the experience, but to integrate the gifts and the insights from the experience into everyday life. So beyond experience kind of echoes that. Making altered states of consciousness and making psychedelics an instrument of personal and societal development. So some people go there to altered states as a space of their own they want to be there they want to be there as, as many times as they want to but that's not part of our bewusstseinskultur uh, culture of consciousness so it's more, more going there and taking the gift that you hopefully perceived there developed there yourself back into your life to, to make it better so that, that's one of the programs which are also part of the augmented psychotherapy training. And then we have then uh, David Hoyer, one of our colleagues, lately developed a, a course that is called Footsteps, which is a very brief integ integration course. It's uh, an online course that anybody in the world, uh, be it in New Zealand, South Africa, India, or even Canada, could. Uh, could go to uh, online and what you're doing there is just investigate one altered states of consciousness experience. May it come from breathwork or psychedelics or meditation. And uh, you're, you're in that group of people and working with a small group of people for six weeks, not longer. And hopefully learning something, taking something from it that you can use for other kinds of experiences. The second one and the third one I could mention is, a, is the drug science program. We developed that 
Um, we, had, we, we, in fact, are still developing it, but the module one is finally developed. And if you're a mental health professional or medical doctor or pharmacologist and want to do some more uh, digging into the foundation of that work with, uh, with substances, you should probably go to the drug science program. But it's also part of the augmented psychotherapy training. So you're getting all of that if you're registering for, for that training. Now, it was, let, me, let, let me remind us that it was you having me talk about these programs. Um, I didn't think that I would get the opportunity to become our own marketing manager here. <laughs> well, I, I think I am very curious and I'm sure quite a you know, lots of people are curious what's available in terms of training. Uh, and I, I, find, I think this is very useful. So keep yeah. going. So uh, all these, uh, almost all of the, these programs apart uh, from Footsteps are CME and CE certified in a few weeks. So we had... Uh, we had the, the conference, by the way, will provide you with 30 up to 35 CME accreditation points. And um, we are just in the process of getting the whole augmented psychotherapy training certified. And I don't have uh, I don't have any doubt that we'll uh, succeed in doing so. So that's really something that uh, psychotherapists and medical doctors can profit from also. If they are living in a country that um, that demands of them that they have these uh, CME or CE accreditation points each year, that's excellent. So uh, beyond experience, a five-day in-person uh, kind of program retreat retreat uh, footsteps is uh, one experience online, and anybody can do it. Drug science program is where you can actually learn in a fairly uh, quick way. Uh, you can learn um, complete online program. It's an online learning program about not only psychedelics but the whole universe of, of mind-altering uh, substances and how they work on the phenomenological, on the pharmacological level where to apply them, also uh, where not to apply them, a harm reduction. That's what you get there in a very comprised way. I know of no other as concise um, way of learning about substances uh, like the course we created. It's not only for academics, but you need to have an interest in really doing some uh, – that's, that's uh, doing some uh, work on, on your own knowledge. You have to really study. So beyond experience is a lot about experience and then working on it, getting into experience and back. Drug science program is really you learned something. Yeah. Yeah, that's I think that's a very good product. What's what's UniMind uh -huh. groups? So now you're getting more uh, into the uh into our way of doing community work and talking to the to the global uh, to the global discourse, uh, we just started uh, journal clubs at universities, and um, at the time being, we have twenty-two UniMind groups in international universities. Um, not only in Europe, by the way, we also have one in in Brisbane, and I think in New Zealand, and um, and just opening one in Asia, but a lot of them in, in Europe, and um, it's. It's as simple as that. These these are people, uh, students and academic staff at university who are discussing academic papers, learning that something like psychedelic research exists. 
um, doing real, real uh, discussion work and how you could problem up, how you could potentially build studies from that or write a thesis. So if there are any students um, in the audience or any people who have a connection to, to university, that's a very good way of, uh, of working with our set of our repertoire of papers and ethics and getting into contact with other people on the university level. Do I understand correctly? Uh, one can start their own UniMind group through... through yeah, there, 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 is a toolkit. there is a toolkit to start a UniMind group. And uh, we have a lot, we have built a lot of structures. There is a manual how to start the group. There is a code of ethics. So you don't get thrown out of the university because you're uh, talking about psychedelics. Um, and by the way, um, if you want to know more about the work of the Mind Foundation, just come to the Insight Conference. We have pre-conference workshops uh, about UniMind, about Beyond Experience, about augmented psychotherapy training, and about all the sections in our members association. Yes, and the uh, Insight Conference, of course, I wanted to flag that one for everybody. This sounds like a very, very interesting conference. The COVID situation is very uncertain. I actually personally was hoping, my my mother is still in Szczecin, so I was hoping to to visit her and to uh, to come at the same time to the conference in 2021. But I, I'm just not sure whether that's going to happen because of COVID at this point. So um, we would love to, to, see, to, to see you, Derek, and all the people interested in Berlin. The conference is going to happen under all circumstances, if it's not an earthquake. And um, so last year, we had 600 people attending the conference. If we would be in a third or fourth corona wave, which we're not expecting next year at that time, but if we would be, we would have only 100, 150 people uh, in the place that, that, it, that it happens. And everything is live streamed. That's already clear. Of course, you will not be able to enjoy the more interesting stuff on the conference we have. Since we have an arts section, um, there will be uh, an arts group called Edge, um, blurring the borders between neuroscience and art. And they had an amazing exhibition on the last uh, conference with some experiential artistic stuff um, going on. Unfortunately, you have to be there with your own body to enjoy uh, that on the conference. It's Berlin after, after all, so I would imagine that your art... Your art uh, part of the conference would be extremely interesting to be there for. And I, I would also be very excited about taking your Beyond Experience, Beyond Experience course in person, you know. So that would that sort of was my, uh, my plan. So, and, so by uh, the way, that is not only happening in Berlin in our beautiful new office. Uh, it's also happening in uh, Barcelona, London, uh, in, uh, in Croatia. And in Austria, uh, and you can invite us to Canada. I think um, our facilitators would easily uh, come to Canada and and do a do a workshop there. Um, if you want to be the host of that, and we can somehow make it uh, work. Oh, that's that's great to know. And so let's let's keep it in mind after this COVID is yeah. uh, is is done. Yeah. Um, so mind. Uh, insight, insight 2021 in Berlin, uh, and I, I think this is, will be an amazing conference to go to. So, in terms of uh, 
the psilocybin and depression study that you guys starting in conjunction with uh, some university there and all that. What, do you want to say something about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's uh, it's uh, the second largest uh, study on treatment-resistant depression that uh, has ever started. Uh, we'll take 144 patients in two centers. One is in Berlin, one is in Mannheim. And uh, the therapist group is 16 or 17 people uh, trained by international experts like Matt Johnson and Katrin Preller from the University of Heidelberg and Peter Gasser from the Swiss Association for Psycholytic Therapy uh, and ourselves, of course. And uh, what we're doing there uh, is actually testing if two doses of psilocybin uh, will be more effective than one. I guess it will, but we don't know. And we're also testing these two doses or one dose uh, against a microdose and against a second sure. placebo, uh, which will be niacin. So it's a pretty complex study design, but it will tell us a lot of things that we don't know already. Uh, how many people do you need? How much? How, how many How many people do you need to, uh, uh, to have that? Uh, 44, uh, and these will be uh, in two study centers. So half of them will receive the placebo condition, half of them uh, the variant condition. But in our study, everybody will receive at least one um, one session of psychedelics because we have these two sessions. Yeah, a part of the group will receive one session and then a placebo. Part of the group will receive a placebo, then the other session. And a part of the uh, of the patients will receive two sessions of psilocybin. And and microdose also two sessions only. No, that that comes with the, that is the placebo condition. So we have two placebo conditions. You probably have never heard about a study using two placebo conditions. So uh, one placebo condition is five milligrams of psilocybin, and the other is niacin. So we'll in that study we'll also have uh, when we're through we can say something about if five uh, micro uh, milligram of psilocybin are effective. That's an amazing. That's an amazing, amazing design. I was actually very curious about the MDMA and in your maps doing three administrations of uh of uh, of mdma and uh and of course the the improvement seems to grow with, uh, after each administration however we also know that mdma has kind of an afterglow afterglow effect so the improvements also grow spontaneously so we don't really know whether the three doses are necessary versus just one dose and let the let the magic happen after through uh, integration and, and improvements in your life and your communication skills and your relationships. But uh, yeah, wow, that's, that's, that's super great. So when are you starting this and when are you planning to be finished with this, uh, this, this amazing study? Taking the first patients in, in January, February. That's excellent. And, you know, again, for people who haven't listened or don't know much about uh, psychedelic assisted psychotherapy, let's quickly get over uh, and explain very quickly the structure of psychedelic assisted therapy. I like talking about four different stages. First is screening. After the screening, 
And the screening is has to do with, are you a good candidate for this or not? Mm-hmm. The, then the, you have a preparation sessions, which prepare, which establishes re, uh, therapeutic relationship, where you do therapy and where you prepare for the dosing session. Then you have a dosing session. And then after the dosing session, you have integration sessions. Pretty much every psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy follows that structure. So if, you, if we talk about this, could you tell us, What's the exclusionary criteria for this uh, treatment-resistant depression for the psilocybin? Pretty much the same as in other international studies. So if you had uh, psychotic episodes before, uh, you would not enter in this study. Um, Then we we take people from 25 to 65. Unfortunately, I have to say, because we had such a lot of people um, beyond the age of 65 Older people also asking for access. People who who have been depressive depressive for uh, decades maybe and want to want to experience something new. Not in this study. Um, then bipolar disorder is something we uh, also would exclude, and, and a number of other conditions that we would be skeptical to treat in this particular study. Okay, so that's excellent. And uh, another concept, maybe I don't know whether you would like to say something about it, but the general um, claim of psychedelic-assisted psychotherapies is that we're not working only on symptom reduction. We are working on curing people from their their conditions. Um, so and and so so the uh, contrast between psychedelic-assisted psychotherapies and uh, and uh, pharmacological current pharmacological treatments is that. Pharmacological treatments, for various reasons, are designed to be the, uh, the medication is designed to be taken on an ongoing basis for for reasons of well, hopefully for therapeutic reasons, but also there is profit incentives, very clear profit incentives there. Um, with uh, uh, with psychedelic assisted therapy, it's a very different story. We're talking about doing it once, maybe doing it twice, maybe doing it three times, and then you're of course, done. We, maybe- want, we want to we want to create experiences, structures, and and competencies help to create them in in, in patients that take them far beyond feeling a little bit less depressed, and that actually studies that happened so far could show that a lot of people changed their values, uh, changed the way they relate to stress-related events. An important topic, by the way. So um, the psychedelic experience, be it one, two, three times in a therapy, um, might be able to help people also that stress resilience or that the way they look at stressful factors. So, and that, that might be something that is changing more than just uh, getting rid of the of the symptoms. Definitely, the, the agenda is not to keep people taking psychedelics. One of the things that our um, Berlin augmented psychotherapy will be concentrating on in the next month um, will also be bridging. How can ketamine be used to, that's called bridging, to to go the way from uh, a daily use of antidepressants? Yes, that's right. That's like so bridging. That's the concept of bridging. Okay. Uh, do you have? Uh, do you think it's worth talking about uh, the concept of default mode network in the context of psilo- uh, psilocybin-assisted therapy? That's a theory that was uh, worked on by uh, Kahat Harris and and others. That in 
in the psychedelic state while applying psychedelics uh, within a therapeutic context, um, the default mode networks activities get reduced. So what is a default mode network? The default mode network is kind of a habit, habituated structure of how your mind works. That's all your learning experience that you gathered in your life, a certain way of how to look at things, of how to react, also unconsciously re react to things. And then it also has a, a simple biological um, side, side to it. That's how you genetically have, have grown your mind to develop. If you loosen the function of the, the default mode network over the period of two, three, four hours, uh, your mind functions in a different way. So, and uh, the default mode network, uh, uh, the activity being reduced, leads to um, a state that some people describe as uh, more chaotic, but in a hopefully and hopefully positive sen sense, more chaotic. Because now new uh, forms of emotional experience, new forms of thinking can can evolve. So that's one way of describing the effects of psychedelics people on a more neuroscience level right so you know i often say to people that you know for the most part all we do is just repeat ourselves so that's kind of like the story of the default mode network that you have this habitual when you're not goal oriented where you do, you're not focused on a on a goal and a, a goal oriented action when you zone out then the default mode network starts going and the ruminations and the, the sort of ways of thinking uh, mm. that are very habitual, very repetitive. Uh, so, and in depression, default mode network activities increased. Uh, and, uh, and so the psychedelics, the idea is that they would lower the default mode network and open people up a little bit more to their sensory experience and the actual novelty in the world. And that's a part of the, that, that, that kind of concept. Yeah, right? we, we had that amazing uh, person on the Inside 2019 conference called Mike Wittmann. The video is on a YouTube channel and he is a time researcher. And that's why he is interested, interested in psychedelics because uh they seem to create states in which people are it, people's people's time perception completely changes. Sometimes it's completely being in the presence, which is not a state that we often experience as human beings with our large brain and all the symbolic structures that are working all the time. Sometimes it's expanding times and reducing time. So so something is going on with time, obviously, in, in psychedelic states. And part of it uh, may, may describe the healing, the healing qualities of a psychedelic experience. Yeah. Okay, great. Great. Wonderful. And then um, the concept of integration, of course, everybody, this, this kind of therapy is often referred to as integration therapy. Everybody talks about integration and, and the basic concept of integration is very simple, that you take what the this unusual experience gives you and what it teaches you uh, and then you integrate some of the beneficial aspects of it into your everyday life could you do, do you, could you talk a little bit more about integration what the hell is integration how do you understand it how does it work do you have some what what are your how ideas? do we understand integration as functional adaptation to um to symptom reduction or improve and improvement in life. So, what what is adapted to what? You you adapt to the altered you adapt the altered states of consciousness 
to achieving um, a better life or symptom reduction and general curing what you said. Yeah? So this does not, not, as a, not automatically happen, um, at least not with everybody. Yeah? So sometimes you need to make sense of a very disturbing psychedelic experience. Uh, the team of Matt Johnson and, and Griffith at Johns Hopkins actually showed that in, in, in several of their studies that people who had a demanding experience that some would call bad trip, uh, in many cases did better than people who did not have an intense experience at all. So um, having a bad trip does not mean that uh, that something is destroyed or you you feel you feel you you, you feel bad after that uh, in fact a lot of people make something out of that so that's also a, an easier way of describing integration making something out of your psychedelic experience how do you do so there there the processes of becoming more whole gestalt psychology but that had actually been developed by, by some uh, fascinating Jewish uh, psychologists here in Berlin, uh, who had to uh, who had to uh, emigrate to the United States because of the Nazis in the 1920s. So wholeness, wholeness, concepts of wholeness, Gestalt, and wholeness. Um, so um, adding things that have been a part of your. Uh, psychological unconsciousness or that have not been part of your perception of the world to become a more encompassing, a more inclusive mind. Uh, that's uh, the wholeness uh, dimension of integration. The other dimension, of course, is an integrated psychological uh, state is a state where you can actually function and do things with it. Functions uh, sometimes sounds a little bit cold, but function means that you can um, you can do the things that are most important in your life. Uh, Freud would have said, "Love and work." This is his famous. Uh, yes, yes. This is his and, two pieces. Yeah, and in a, in a, in, a, in a sense, it's a deep it's a deep way of saying uh, to be functional. Integration to stay with the topic also means to open a person to existential dimensions of life. And that is what Victor, Victor Frankl was about meaning and your relationship to death and dying. Mm -hmm. Do you guys do anything with MDMA assisted psychotherapy or not, nothing at this point? Oh, um, not at the moment, but. Um, as soon as we have we have the approval for the psilocybin study uh, expected next week, uh, one of our plans is to write the next uh, application for a therapy study, and MDMA is um, is a candidate. In terms of ethics of uh, psilocybin assisted psychotherapy or, or psychedelic assisted psychotherapy, uh, what in your mind are the most important ethical issues in the clinical practice? Yeah, um, some of the issues are screening, of course. Uh, you can't do that with everybody. Uh, psychedelic therapies are not for everybody. So if you listen to some of the guys in the psychedelic industry field who just want to want to grow mushrooms and get them out to everybody, be skeptical, be skeptical. There has to be some system of filtering out and there has to be a context building system. 
to to um, to apply them. Um, sometimes, not always, psychedelic therapies lead to changes that the patient did not intend. You you're aware of that, I. I, I, I right. So um, you maybe so maybe we get patients in a in a study who want to get rid of their pain symptoms or depressive symptoms, and then they end up with such an existential experience that they now uh, either divorcing their husband, divorcing the husband, or find God, or lose God, or yes, ecological. Uh, why well, they didn't do want to do that. Uh, in their behaviors too. So there is a certain openness and uncalculated, uncalculable dimension in psychedelic therapy. We have to talk to the patients about you're opening yourself up to, uh, to a risky, to some risk. Things could happen that we cannot plan. Things can happen that the therapist doesn't cannot steer cannot cannot really calculate so there's also something going on between the 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 the, the therapist and the patient you have to be aware that you're steering in uncharted territory sometimes i wouldn't i wouldn't draw the the picture of the psychedelic experience being completely uh uncalculable no absolutely there is there are some things that can be expected and most of the sessions go in a certain way but sometimes people are confronted with things they didn't want to see exactly and this is this is a really good point henrik uh, because that uh, taps into the issue of informed consent mm-hmm. so the client consents to a specific uh, therapy and then let's let's take this example that that person suddenly might have an experience that radically changes their lives and maybe they like it, but maybe their close ones don't. Mm. And then, you know, you might be, uh, you might be in a little bit of a trouble. So informed consent has to be properly constructed around that particular issue that you're saying. Yeah. And and, uh, I think we're still in the infancy of these informed consent procedures. So these are open open ethical questions. So it's really about a a very professional informed consent, something that does not regularly regularly happen in the non-therapeutic field, in ayahuasca groups and so on. That's much harder there to have. Right. Well, thank you for this contribution because it's this is this issue of ethics is really uh, dear to my heart, and you know I, I'm uh, planning to participate in the our psychological sort of community to developing specialized guidelines. So this it's really nice to talk about these, um, these uh, these issues. So what about um, uh, psychedelics being powerful mind altering substances, and how does this relate to uh, to cl- to patients uh, clients? Client safety and you know potential for thera- thera- therapist abuse and all that stuff. What would you say about that mm. in terms of that? It's definitely a topic in all the psychotherapies that there are there are narcissistic personalities. There's uh, sometimes sexual abuse happens, and uh, but there is a layer that is that demands more attention in psychedelic therapies because the patient is in a state that over some time makes him more vulnerable. That's the first thing because of these chaotic uh, and maybe unwanted 
experiences that that he has being confronted with trauma or something like that. And then there is that more existential, some call it spiritual, some call it religious dimension. So where people get in, and I'm talking about that because some therapists draw some more narcissistic or guru-esque form of a confirmation of their own importance from it. Because I showed somebody how to deal with death. I am a very important person in this, uh, this person's life. And if you're not aware of that and you're not in an intervision and supervision uh, practice and you're not aware of the uh, expansion of ego that that can take bring for the ther- therapist, um, you can develop very unhealthy, unhealthy uh, client relationships. And that happened in the past. In fact, it happened. And it's mm-hmm. not that rare in the psychedelic uh, scene outside of therapies. And it happened uh, with therapists too. And this can destroy, you know, those kinds of incidences. You don't need too many of them to, again, destroy the field, you know. So uh, are you using, because one of the main ways to protect from that is to use two therapists, a team of two therapists, especially during the dosing sessions. I'm curious for your design, whether you're using two therapists and whether you're using two therapies both during the dosing sessions and all the other sessions or just the dosing sessions so uh, uh one sentence to the to, uh, about the about the study and the other sentence about the augmented psychotherapy training and our vision that we have for future configurations of applying psycho uh, 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 psychedelic therapy in the session uh, we have two psychotherapists um but it's not only because of that watchdog uh Function that you're alluding to, also with two psycho uh, with with two psychotherapists, that there would be a higher chance of creating a, a beneficial relationship and and accompanying of the patients. Um, but more interesting is how we imagine future psychedelic practice to happen in the mainstream. If we're if we're going beyond those marginalized psychedelic groups that are uh, practicing an illegality and so on, um, in our discussions within our organization, we have come to the conclusion that we should head for uh, a, a, an advanced form of treating people in in therapeutic groups in groups of of. Of specialists, so it would be a doctor and a psychotherapist. It would be a medical doctor and a body worker. It could be a medical doctor and, an, and a psychiatric nurse. It could be somebody uh, that has gone through the, for, for example, our augmented psychotherapy training, um, and they have to learn how to do therapies in in groups, which frequently happens also nowadays in in clinics, of course. But with a very hierarchical understanding of how people uh, work together. So my personal vision of the psychedelic therapy of the future is that we'll have um, very advanced groups of trained, multimodal, multimodal, multi disciplinary teams. So it's definitely not only about um, 
medical doctors applying uh, these therapies. And also I can, um, it's also been shown in the studies, you can have people that do not necessarily have the highest degree of licensed psychotherapy, but you should have at least one person who has a very high degree in licensed psychotherapy or psychiatry um, in a treatment group. Then you can add others who have other competencies that the medical doctor might not have been able to develop, like body therapists. Okay, so there's a group of uh, treating therapists, and then you know you envision at least one highly qualified, highly trained uh, therapist, and then some some other counselors, uh, uh, you know, or other people who provide uh, treatment in various configurations. We are particularly targeting um, the the development of uh, of treatment teams. Uh, we also have a model where psychotherapists in the city who are treating their patients um, in a psychodynamic or uh, cognitive behavioral model and are stuck in some way, yeah, can come to us and we'll be, and they would accompany, they would, they would facilitate, help us. They would, with, with us together, they would facilitate ketamine sessions with their clients in our clinic here. So then they go back and work with the work with their own clients. So moving on with uh, with ethics, uh, what do you think about the issue of therapeutic if you, touch? If you if you become very 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 uh, uh, cautious, you you uh, create a rule that uh, therapists don't touch their clients at all. There mm-hmm. are some groups in the field that did exactly that. Now, uh, in, in order to avoid uh, questions of sexual abuse and and uh, and, and misuses of all kind. Now, but but there is a dilemma in that. I can maybe uh, tell the story of a, of one of our experimental ketamine clients that we had. So, it was his first sex, uh, session uh, a sixty-seven-year-old guy who is a psychoanalytic therapist himself, and also was a was a professor, and he never had an experience with um, with ketamine before, and he got into the session and. He experienced states of anxiety and also states of alienation in in the altered state uh, after like 15 or 20 minutes. And then he raised his arm. He was able to raise his arm and asked, he was able to talk, can can I have touch? He asked himself. So uh, one of our therapists uh, was then came to him, was sitting next to where where he was in the therapy room and put a hand on his shoulder and put a hand on his hand. And even a little bit later, put a hand, it was a she, that was a guy, put a hand on, on his leg. Yeah? So now you have a situation you can discuss about. Yeah? Uh, was that too much? Putting a hand on the shoulder, putting a hand on the leg, yeah? That's almost in the direction of body work. Um, So what I have to say, in that session, there was another person in the room, yeah? And uh, the the therapist uh, was well aware that touching people in an altered state of consciousness can sometimes have uh, extremely beneficial effects in terms of... um, being or, or 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 providing the feeling of care of of a human being 
being present, of providing the care, uh, the feeling of warmth, and that people are not drifting away in some um, in some lonely space. So wh- what did the client really say? What did the client really report afterwards? He reported that he had a, um, a feeling before the touch happened, before he said, can I, can I have that touch? Uh, he was drifting away in some isolation, loneliness feel that was very unpleasant to him. And after the touch, this whole thing changed and he was getting mm. completely biographically um, story that he found very interesting to investigate, investigating his relationship to his mother. <laughs> so the touch uh, kept uh, that that feeling of, I am not alone and I can go a little bit further uh, in the in the space of investigating my own biographical topics. Yeah, that's a one. That's a wonderful example. So you know, this uh, whole issue of touch is definitely going. I imagine is going to be on the table, and and you know, and whether it's okay to use it and and how to use it. So that it has to be an issue of consent. It has to be written, written down. Uh, people have to sign it. In the study, in the psilocybin study, a touch of the leg of the patient would not be allowed. It's only hand to shoulder. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a big discussion in the research group, um, uh, people making up s- possible scenarios. So if a patient uh, with uh, in a psychedelic, in the psychedelic uh, experience, would sit up during the session, which is uh, mainly, uh, which is uh, he is supposed or she is supposed to, to lie on, on, on the bed, uh, um, and and go into the inner field, but sometimes it happens. People get up and people sit up, and it would demand, "Can I, can I hug you?" So what are you doing? So and there was that going one 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 part of the group was like, "No, under no social circumstances, we would have the the, the patient uh, lie on the bed again, and and would 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 uh, would deny that because of." Uh, a therapeutic attitude and and uh, the other fraction was saying well usually we would do that yes but I, we could imagine situations where um, a, a usual a, a very human hug would may mean a great difference for that for this person and us being two people in the in the therapy room the possibility and 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 in this in the study also a camera the possibility of this developing into a group sex situation is very very low this issue is at the heart of you know we're talking about a more connected world and and touch is uh, of all the modalities is one of the most intimate modalities so obviously you know i i'm i am personally not against touch in any way but but we do need to guard the the safety of the clients and and so that i think that issue is an important issue to 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 keep talking about and clarify in terms of ethical stand guidelines and all of that so yeah that was uh, that was a great discussion and then Ah, could you talk about chemical toxicity and behavioral risks? Psilocybin. Of the whole universe of, uh, of mind-altering uh, substances, uh, psychoactive substances, this, uh, the, the psychedelics are uh, the, the least toxic uh, class of uh, psychedelics. That's what, what, what any pharmacologist 
would would say, with the exception of some research chemicals, some research chemical psychedelics that have been developed in the last 20 years. Um, so there, there are, nowadays, there are some psychedelics that can kill people because of their toxicity, but psilocybin will not kill a person. Uh, there was one, an older, an older statement from the older literature that says, uh, if you ingested mushrooms, which is active ingredient part of psilocybin is, you would have to have to ingest 22 kilograms of these mushrooms to potentially die. Nobody can do that. So, yeah. uh, so the toxicity. So chemical toxicity is good. Behavioral risks. Behavioral risks. Yeah, but but that depends. You have to specify your question. That depends on the context. If you would not be in a in a therapist patient situation, of course, a lot of things can happen. Uh, so uh, people uh, taking psilocybin mushrooms. Uh, just on the street, uh, they could get into states that are very problematic for themselves. Anxiety, paranoia is often reported or a simple confusion, confusion. Yeah. So, uh, what happens in, in, in psychedelic therapies? From what our trainers and experts have seen from, from what I have seen as an observer, um, 90% of the sessions are very peaceful uh, and even boring sometimes. If you talk to guys like Peter Gasser, who, who are in LSD, doing uh, legal uh, study LSD therapy, you're sitting next to your patients for eight hours, and sometimes nothing happens. They are just in the inner trip, trip world. But there are some extreme, uh, some extreme cases. Was that what you what we what did you what did we talk that's about? That's exactly that's exactly yeah the context and the set and setting and all of that yeah. yes. So even in a very well structured ethically high standard therapy, um, sometimes things occur that surprise you as a therapist. So somebody uh, so the easiest maybe is somebody wants to go to the to the toilet twenty times in the session. So uh, you have to to do something about it, or you think you have to do something about it, because that is obviously, uh, in many cases, disturbing the therapeutic process. It, yeah, or more dramatic, more dramatic uh, story, a case from uh, a Swiss uh, therapist. So somebody was really getting up in therapy and was shaking, and. And the shaking became dancing, and the dancing became becoming aggressive, uh, in the sense of "let me alone." And and then the, the patient began to beat the furniture and kick kick the furniture. And so, an agitated person that you would have in a in a also outside of therapy in a, in a in a in a situation where that you would describe maybe a, a psychotic behavior, and. Usually, uh, people, uh, therapists would apply talking down methods. So bringing the patient back to a composition, to a view inside. But sometimes it has been reported. It happened in studies. It's not possible to do that. And then, uh, therapists sometimes apply, uh, um, a medicine so that people calm down. Benzodiazepine. Yeah. 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 
Yeah. So okay, and we have to we have to make sure that the examples you're giving are very rare. We have to talk about serious adverse events. So that when they happen, one out of hundred or one out of a thousand, that people are prepared. Yeah, and and again, uh, to echo the importance of of you know on my part, uh, and, and I believe yours as well, is the medical medical legalization, medical use of this within a therapeutic context that's that's you know that really cuts down on 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 the great majority of any of those risks they are still possible and that's why we we need the training and we need preparation and uh, and all that and we need medical uh, supervision um now in terms of so that's wonderful um uh Anything else about the kind of ethics? We talked about access. Of course, that's a big issue, cost and access. I think that's an obvious issue. I don't know whether we need to talk about it more. Um, larger, the larger question is how to get that out into uh, into society. And we in Germany are definitely planning to get it to the health insurance. So information one, uh, we have health insurance for 70 years now. <laughs> so I'm saying that... To, to, to compare it to the American system, of course, that's a struggle for people in the American system because they don't have health insurance for psychotherapy. We have that. So we're, we want to take it to, um, to the health insurance level that will take some years. Great. Anel. So, so, so if we move on to just uh, another topic that I think is uh, important, just quickly maybe, uh, is the issue of public education and the messaging that uh, psychedelic researchers and psychedelic clinicians need to need to do? What do you think are the most important messages to sort of undo some of the harm that the drug uh, war on drugs has created and uh, lumping all the all the drugs together and and just making them all evil? What and just in general, in terms of uh, psychedelic assisted psychotherapy coming in the research. Do you do you have like a set of specific messages, simple messages? You know, one, two, three, kind of that that uh, that that the public needs to hear. Uh, psychedelics are psychoactive substances. All psychoactive substances come with benefits and risks. You need to have knowledge, and you need to have a a, a context of people around you and of of circumstances that are beneficial to any psychedelic experience. Otherwise the risks are getting stronger. Um, you need to have um, people you can talk to and you who help you to integrate uh, the psychedelic experience. Otherwise, uh, you might end up with difficult experiences that you cannot make use of or that will harm you. Uh, psychedelics are not among the most dangerous psychoactive drugs in the field. They are, in fact, uh, the least dangerous class of substances, but still they can drive a person mad and create situations that nobody wants. So just be careful. Inform yourself. Even when you go to a therapist in, in the future, legal therapist, inform yourself in a, in a credible in a credible source with a credible source before you go to the therapist yeah uh, also um, psychedelics are not panacea so they are not substances that help to heal everything and everybody um, always ask uh, an expert 
if a medication that you take, be it, uh, be it for an organic uh, condition or a, a psychological condition, uh, goes well with the psychedelic. Because that is not always the case. You can ruin your health, your mental health, when you combine uh, substances that don't go well together. That sounds great. Very good messaging, Henrik. Very good messaging. Now I have the last question, broad question for you. And then if you want to add anything else, and then we, I, I, you know, I really enjoyed connecting with you. So that's great. So growth, the issue of growth, uh, every organization right now that I know is growing real fast. Things are happening so fast. And, uh, and uh, tell me what is this like for you? Tell me what, whether you see any risks uh, or what are the risks of fast growth of uh, psychedelic organizations, psychedelic psychotherapy organizations. Tell me about what's dearest to your heart. What do you care about the most? Tell me what is most challenging for you uh, in this, uh, at this time when psychedelics uh, are experiencing a renaissance. Obviously, there are good and bad actors in the field, like in any field. This is not holy men bringing some magical thing into a bad world. Um, we have a blog post out uh, for a few days now. Yeah, I think we have it out already, uh, which is uh, called the Berlin Registry. And what is registered there? It's it's um, it's more than one hundred seventy psychedelic organizations the field is rapidly growing and you you have little pins on a, on a map where you can see that most of these companies are in the north american field of course not all of them there are some uh, organizations drifting in from the u.s and canadian cannabis field who don't have a clue about what psychedelics is they but they have investors and since the cannabis market is going down or has been going down for some while. They're looking for new um, new goals that money can be spent on. They do not necessarily sp spend the money on the best plan, on the best idea and the most ethical thing to do. Then there are actors and organizations in the field that are naive or that are missionary or that are only political, that do not necessarily have a mental health perspective. So um, it's good to have some watchdogs in the field on the political side, but uh, you would not want to attend uh, to these organizations for, uh, for mental health therapy. Um, let me talk about cultural domination and diversity. Yeah, so... Um, a lot of what has spiked the psychedelic renaissance came from the United States, then growing, but we're beyond that phase. Now that's an international endeavor. So there might be things that are different in Europe and, and in Asia uh, than in the United States and Canada. Not everything that applies to the North American space applies in Europe. Um, so we need more diversity in organizations and the organizations to be transparent. Do they need to be diverse? Yes, 
diversity is a, a, a goal uh, that every organization should, should be aiming for. But we have a very different way of dealing with diversity issues politically and legally in Germany and Italy than the, the U.S. Americans have. Mm-hmm. There is some discussion about that also with uh, with a case in Maps Canada lately where diversity issues come up. We should not create, we, we should not think that uh, that, um, uh, psych- that an organization working in the psychedelic field has to be a political organization. That is not possible because uh, if you take it to the extreme, um, you cannot you cannot work anymore. Right, and 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 do you see like for your own organization and for yourself the the, the you know is it the growth? I, how are you managing that the, the the speed right now of what's going on? Um, we have uh, we have um, people from fourteen different nationalities working in the organization right now. And uh, we, our members' organization grew to become like around 630 members. Most of them are passive, but uh, a group is also active in many countries. So we are we are talking all the time about concepts of how to take that to Austria, to to, to Portugal, or somebody from Lithuania. It's Lithuania is calling us. Can I start a mind foundation in Lithuania? And then a shiver runs uh, uh, runs uh, on my screen. Whoa! How do we do that? And how do we how do we make the, the organization safe so that we don't have some crazy um, trip tripping people uh, in Russia calling themselves Mind Foundation? So a lot of issues come up. Um, but it's also it's also a thrilling time. I mean, uh, also the Mind Foundation having defined ourselves as a European organization, we have written the, the the transnational thing into into the genetics of this organization. It's it's really it's really interesting to talk to people from Croatia, from um, also people who consider themselves European, like the Australians, who are not uh, not organizationally European and. But they 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 want to share some of their spirit and want to see some of our spirit for them. That's great. In terms of financing, it's a challenge. But who, which organization wouldn't say that they have a financial challenge? I mean, we are lucky. We we are pretty well financed for the time being. But with um, with more money, we could do more beneficial things. Of course, and when it comes to studies. There is not enough money in the field, definitely. I mean, we struggled a lot to get the, the psilocybin study running. And by the way, we had the luck because of the skills of the principal investigator to get a state grant. It's the first psychedelic clinical study on in the whole world that has been completely, almost completely, we also give something from the Mind Foundation, financed with a state grant. So the Federal mm-hmm. Ministry of Education and Research in Germany um, provided 2.2 million euros for this study. Yeah, congratulations. That's, that's amazing. That's no, amazing. I'm really proud that, that although we have a conservative government, a conservative social democrat government, and probably most people don't know what psychedelic research is, and and many people probably don't like it. They are democratic, open, and free enough uh, to provide uh, provide funding to an interesting project. Okay, great. So let's do a little bit of uh, if anybody 
is still listening at this point, let us know by leaving a comment or even better, if you go to iTunes and, and, and leave a review of the podcast, that would be that would be spectacular. And are you ready to wrap this up, Henrik, or do you want to say something else? An amazing uh, conversation. And I like the, the kind of questions that uh, that you asked me. I'm happy to to also connect and talk to your audience, which will hopefully grow. So this is a good... This hopefully is a good, this is... This, this is, is a very new, very new venture, uh, Henrik, and uh, we'll see how it goes. Uh, I I have really enjoyed talking to you, man. This is this is great, and uh, and I'll send you a copy when it's uh, when it's ready. And uh, hopefully, I'll see you in Berlin in 2021. But if not, then 2022, I think uh, for sure. And um, and, and hopefully yeah. online before and uh, yeah. It was yes, an amazing, amazing discussion. And we'll have you speak at the, our conference next year here as well. I, yeah, we yeah, already, yeah, I think, yeah. talked about that. That's right. uh, all right. Thank you so much for doing such important work. After all, it's all about, uh, about making the world a better place. And uh, I feel we're on the same, on the same sort of uh, track with regards to that. Let's go for it. All right. Thank you, Henrik. <laughs>